White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Red Echo, Grand Slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence, Ecknerwall23 on Twitter. Chris Tannehill is at Chris Tannehill on Twitter. Our show is Locked On Sox on Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. Go there and subscribe today for a Locked On Sox prize pack, maybe. If you want to send us an email, it's LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. And got a lot of voicemails from you guys. Thank you for using the new number, 312-566-8727. Thank you very much for sending on all those great voicemails. We see them. We're going to be using them in future shows. But without any further ado, here's Chris Tannehill. Hey, Herb, it's episode 191 here today, and we're doing Crossover Wednesday here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're going to talk with Chris Castellani of Locked On Tigers. It's Tiger Day here, and it's certainly a team uh, with a lot of young talent, a team uh, they're creeping on a come up. How close are they? Will they be a thorn in the White Sox side? We'll ask Chris about that. We'll ask him about Nomar Mazzara, who is there now. We'll talk about this young pitching staff and about Miguel Cabrera and how he's viewed in the franchise at this point in his career. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of voicemails. We'll probably get to maybe uh, on Friday. I think we'll do a Friday show where we uh, where we let it loose and hear some, uh, some of our favorite people check in and get to hear their voices. I think that'll be fun. So without any further ado, here's our conversation with Chris Castellani of Locked on Tigers. The one thing, I mean, as you're a Tigers fan and host of Locked on Tigers, I always say this, and people uh, think I'm joking. I don't mind the Tigers, and I don't mind Tigers fans. I think we regaled the story last year when we went up to Tigers Stadium or Comerica and had a good time, or it was 2012, and had a good time. The fans were very nice, and so it's good to talk with Tiger fans is, the, the rough exterior that Detroit gets and the hate that Detroit gets, the people, they're, they're beautiful people. Well, thank you. Look, we, uh, <laughs> as passionate as we are, yeah, I, I've never viewed Detroit. The only hate that Detroit fans seem to have is at each other. But within out, in terms of outside circles, I think, yeah, in general, the fan base is usually pretty welcoming, at least in terms of the pro sports. And what we are wondering here as a White Sox fans – we know the Detroit Tigers are going to give us problems this year. The one thing that I want to start at the uh, crossover with is I keep on hearing about big-time prospects, Spencer Torkelson. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. There's reports out from camp that maybe not this year, maybe a next year. What's up with that guy? Because I look at that guy as when he comes up, Detroit's on the upswing and they're coming for the White Sox title. Yeah, I I don't think we're going to see him this year. I think we've seen over the last several years with service time manipulation, and I think that it has allowed uh, the organization to keep a lot of these guys down pretty much until they're completely ready. I mean, it's similar to the principle that the Dodgers have, where you know they're everyone always gets 
is shocked when Dodgers prospects get called up and start hitting or start, you know, dominating right away. It's because they keep them down in the minors forever. I think the Tigers are kind of abiding by a similar principle. Uh, Torx also struggled quite a bit in spring training. I think people are making a bigger deal out of it than they should be. I mean, it's really only like five, six games worth of at bats. It's just been spread out over a few weeks. And we're talking about a guy who really hasn't had a, a very competitive at bat against solid major league pitching ever. I mean, or hasn't had a solid uh, competitive at bat since college. I mean, that was March of last year. So, you know, he's, he's going to, he's, it's taken a little bit for him to, to get a swing back, but no, I don't think we're going to see him this year. I think the three headed monster of pitching prospects that they've talked so much about over the last several years, Mize Manning and, and Tarek Skubal, we saw two of two of them in limited action a year ago. I think at some point this year, we're going to see all three of them. And I think with the new managerial hire, I think that Hinch is really pushing for that. I think he wants the five best pitchers within the organization to be on the major league roster. I think that Scooball right now is looking like a guy who's probably going to start the year on the opening day roster. Mize and Manning will get called up at some point. Manning will probably be the last one called up because of service time manipulation. But yeah, we're going to be seeing of the the big five, which is three pitchers, Riley Green and then Spencer Torkelson. Uh, we're we're going to be seeing th- three of them here, I would say, at Comerica Park this season. And getting back to Mize, he struggled a bit this spring, but what did you yeah. make of his 2020 uh, as a whole? I know it's, it's tough to evaluate at 2020, but what did you make of his season last year, and what sort of things does he have to build on uh, to take the next step in 2021? Yeah, I, I was disappointed in the way that all fans are disappointed. I think to a certain extent we've been spoiled here because the two big rookie pitchers of my lifetime – were Verlander and Michael Fulmer, two guys who didn't miss a beat, who just came to Detroit right away and were rookie of the rookies of the year and you know all-star caliber pitchers. 99% of the time, it's not like that. I mean, a prime example is what you guys had to go through with Lucas Giolito. The guy was, every fifth day, the worst starter in baseball in 2018. Uh, Completely turned it around. He's an all-star. He's an ace now at, at this point. I, I gave him basically a mulligan for last season because in an ideal world, and I was happy they called him up when they did, but in an ideal world, he would have gotten 10 to 20 starts down in AAA and they would have gotten him called up because of no minor league season. You know, that was, that was uh, out, of, out of the picture, so they called him up. What was troubling to me last season and what has been troubling to me in the spring so far has been he's had an issue that he's never had in the minor leagues, which is, uh, issues with command. I mean, we're, the reason he went number one overall was because it's so rare that you get a pitcher out of college whose stuff is as polished as his was. He wasn't a project. He was a guy who could th- consistently throw four or five different pitches for strikes. And yet he came to the majors last year and was struggling with command. He was str- he struggled with command in spring training so far. I mean, look, the, the stuff is excellent. And, and it's the the thing that I've said for a long time. Uh, you can fix command. You can't fix stuff. Either you got heat or you don't. He's got it. But I, I do think that there is a little bit of frustration, even bubbling up to the surface within the organization in terms of, okay, when, when's he going to show it? Because it seems like the other two guys, Manning and Scooball, have have started to take those leaps forward to show that they're ready to be major league pitchers. And Mize is still, he's still, he's laboring a little bit out there every time he takes them out. And it looks like um, White Sox were going to hire the guy who ended up in Detroit. And, of course, we don't need to go to the <laughs> Tony Larusa thing. It's a sore subject for us. But how is Detroit and everybody around them feeling about A.J. Hinch? I know my apprehension of hiring him would be the stink of that 2017 Astros. 
So what did Detroit firstly think about hiring him? And now that it's settled a little bit, and he's coached or managed a couple of these uh, spring games. How's Detroit feeling about him? I would say when it, when he was initially hired, it was about a 60, 40 split in terms of people who really liked the hire and people who were, you know, still on the whole, he cheated. We don't want him here. Or, and this is a small percentage, but there were a lot of people that just liked garden hires personality and wanted to see him stay around. And I did too. I didn't want him. I didn't want him to stay the manager, but he's salt of the earth guy. Good guy. You know, good, good quote, good soundbite. Um, now I think it's probably closer to 80, 20 in terms of people who support it. Cause I think the, there was those people who believe that the circus was gonna, he was gonna bring the circus with him when he came here. And I think he did a great job right away of being like, look, I understand that this is going to be a part of me. I understand that this is part of my legacy. These are my stories. They aren't the stories of the Detroit Tigers. And uh, look, the argument I've made is, you know what? I, after four years of being not just bad, but like historically awful. I mean, we're talking about a franchise that, Outside of 2003, when they went, uh, you know, lost 119 games. The last several years has been probably the the lowest point of of incompetence that we've seen out of this organization in a long time. So I want the best available. Period. And, and I know the guy can manage. I know there's going to be a controversy that's going to come with it. But the other argument I've made, because I and I said this in a video I made, because I think there's a bit of fan self righteousness. There are guys on the roster right now who have done and gotten busted for way worse things than what A.J. Hinch got busted for. I mean, Miguel Cabrera is a king here, right? Triple crown winner, two-time MVP. Guy got arrested in the middle of a pennant race in 2009 for fighting with a cop. And the fans forgave him because we believe in second chance. I'm all for that. I I still love Miggy, but I think that, like, if you're going to hate one, you kind of have to hate the other. So I I believe in the second chance. And ultimately, I – that that championship will always be tarnished, right, in the eyes of everybody except for Rob Manfred, apparently (laughs) – but uh, I I know the guy can manage. I've watched him in Houston. I saw the way he managed that bullpen. I saw the staff that he brought with him, and I like the staff he he brought to Detroit as well. So I think in general, fans are are more receptive to it than they were when the hire initially happened. And that coaching staff, Herb and I were talking about it before you jumped on the call here. White Sox connections there. Juan Nieves is the assistant pitching coach. Mm -hmm. Juan Nieves was here forever, uh, one of Coop's right-hand guys. And Josh Paul, the quality control coach. So that's funny if you're looking for a Sox connection there. But getting back to Miggy, like – you know, you're talking about an all-time great, like you said, and you know he's just he's just been there forever. It seems like, and I'm wondering how does the fan base view Miguel Cabrera here as he's clearly like on his way out. I don't know if it'll be this year or maybe next year, but what what is, what do you see when you see Miguel Cabrera? Well, I'll tell you what, man, it's not going to be either one of those years because they got him for locked up for three more years, <laughs> and he's going to see more. this thing through to the end. <laughs> and so, I, I mean, he, he's gonna he's gonna go to the very end here, buddy. But no, I, I think in general, fans. Look, whatever frustration we have, a lot, a lot of it's disappointment because we know this guy at his peak was as good as anyone we've seen here. Um, you know, I think the it was Pujols in the NL and him in the AL for a long time. I mean, there was nobody better, and and he was he was one of those rare hitters that had like a prime within a prime, where he had twelve or you know ten years where he was one of the best, and those two years, the Triple Crown year and the year that followed, where he was he was just on another plane of existence from everybody else. And we and if he wouldn't have gotten injured, who knows what he could have done. So, I mean, that that's where the disappointment comes in. Whatever anger people have is mainly aimed at the contract. I, I mean, if you're if there's a reason why you're seeing, you know, Luis Robert get uh, an extension before he plays a game in the major leagues or you're seeing the, the, the Acuna extension, 
it's because teams look at the contracts like what the Tigers gave Miggy and they said, we can't have that. We can't give a guy in his mid-30s a 10-year deal and pay him until he's 43 years old. So the, there's anger at the contract. In terms of expectations, my belief is he should do what Joey Votto has admitted to starting to do, has admitted to doing, and that's uh, sell out for power at this point because Miguel Cabrera has never, as great of a hitter as he was, was never paid to hit singles. And, and you look at the batting average, it's still fine. I mean, it's still in the upper 200s at points. You no, know, it has hit the, the low 300s, but I, I think at this point, his goal should be trying to lift the ball. They're trying to get more extra base pop. And I've put the baseline. If he gets, if he has an 800 OPS or above, I'm calling it a successful season. You can work with that. Uh, Anything below that. It's just, you know, another reminder that this is a guy who uh, because of injuries is, is uh, well past his prime. But I think in general, the fan base, it's going to be one of those things. Everyone may be frustrated now, but the second he calls it quits and, and steps off, uh, you know, Comerica Park for the last time, everyone's going to stand up, cheer, and cry, and they should. He's been unbelievable here. It's it's bittersweet. Unlike Canerco, you don't have that closure where Canerco won you guys a championship in 05. You know, he was part of, you know, the greatest White Sox team of all time. Um, Miggy was a part of some of the most talented teams in Tigers history. Um, but the same way that we view the Verlander era and J.D. Martinez and Max Scherzer, there will always be that yeah, but because he never won a title. But in general, the fan base, the fan base still still loves him and, and adores what he did here. We'll take a quick timeout, and on the other side, we'll find out who will be the thorn in the White Sox side in this Tigers lineup. Back after this on Locked On White Sox. This episode of Locked On White Sox is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. You know, we've been telling you guys about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all bars and now it's time to find out which built bar is the best it's built bar madness folks and just as a quick aside i think built bar is trolling my partner herb he mentioned on the show that he doesn't like coconut as a flavor in general in his life so he gave me his surplus of coconut built bar so now i am sitting on all the coconut built bars i could ever ask for and i love it but today's matchup is coconut almond versus peanut butter brownie so i stand for coconut so i'm going to place my vote for coconut at builtbar.com you should do the same place your vote and you can go to builtbar.com and follow them on twitter at bar underscore built for the latest matchups new flavors that drop i'm always checking to see what flavors they got cooking up in the lab so i can get my order in and don't miss out on these rare flavor drops and remember do what i did when you place your order at buildbar.com use our promo code locked 15 we have a new promo code that's locked 15 for 15 percent off your next order head to buildbar.com and make sure to check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar Betting on baseball doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. As I look at the uh, Tigers lineup, I see, of course, uh, familiar faces, Jonathan Scope on mm-hmm. the uh, lineup, and then you guys got Robbie Grossman to play left field for you guys. Yeah. But- if we talk about people that I see all the time and wonder why they're not on the major league roster, or at least not projected to be starting, I look no further than 
former White Sox, Mike Cameron's son, Daz Cameron. Mm-hmm. What's going up with him, on with him? I see his stats. He's been in the major leagues for certain, you know, cups of coffee throughout the last couple of years. Is Daz Cameron the projected high um, prospect that he was in Houston and then traded over to uh, Detroit? Is he finally going to put it all together and be on this starting club? Uh, I mean, well, the short answer, I would say he won't be on the starting roster. No. Uh, I think that the Verlander trade, uh, at, we've known for about, I mean, we knew after Verlander won the Cy Young and or won the World Series in 2017, it wasn't going to be a trade we were going to win. But it is, with each passing day, becoming one of the most disastrous in recent memory. I mean, Franklin Perez has pitched a total of 20 innings with the Tigers organization in three years, and his fastball yesterday peaked at 90 miles per hour when he pitched. Jake Rogers was a catching prospect who was called up in 2019 and had a OPS of 493 and Daz Cameron, I think in general was viewed as the player in that trade, maybe with the highest ceiling, you know, obviously the, the, the pedigree coming from a baseball family, a lot of speed, a lot of power. It felt like there was something he could work with, but had a very disastrous year in 2019 in AAA. They wanted to call him up in 19, but he, because of the performance, they couldn't. He wasn't hitting well enough. Uh, made his debut a season ago. You know, he, you can see in glimpses why he was so highly touted when he was drafted. He has incredible speed. When he hits for power, when he hits, he does hit for power. Uh, he just hasn't found a way to put it all together. They're still holding out hope, and he will get. Uh, major league action this year, and he should uh, because, he, I mean, you might as well give him another shot, but I think his his star is fading a little bit in terms of how they view him within the organization, and they've tried out several guys. I mean, Derek Hill was a huge center field prospect that they took in the first round a few years ago. He just got optioned to AAA today. Uh, Cameron also would arrive to camp late. I don't know if it was a COVID thing. I, I think he had COVID last year. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's another one of those bubble guys where you're just, you're waiting for him to show you something and they're going to continue to be patient, but it's been, it's been frustrating watching his development because you know, the tools are there. He just hasn't put it all together. There's a lot of talent, a lot of high upside guys. When you look up and down the roster, but a lot of lottery tickets too. And one of the things yeah. I look at with with this team, we, we mentioned it earlier at, at the beginning, but this pitching staff, I look at it as a whole, you got Boyd, Scooble. Mize, Fulmer, Turnbull, and uh, the acquisition of Jose Ureña, who I, you know, we talked about on our show, like that would be a good guy for the Sox to pick up for that mm-hmm. fifth spot. I, you know, I look at it just on paper only. This rotation, you know, you need a lot of things to go right, but overall, it doesn't look that bad. And you know, two lefties at the top is good for the White Sox and the way they succeed against left-handed pitching. But when you look at this rotation, what do you make of it going into twenty twenty one? Well, again, you have several guys who need to show you something. I mean, Matt Boyd is a pitcher that the Tigers have been very high on. I mean, I was, like many other people, just clamoring that when he was pitching great in 2019, that they had a perfect trade chip and they did nothing with him last year. Um, I mean, not just against you guys, against pretty much everybody. He was poor. I I mean, we're talking about a guy who had an ERA close to seven a year ago, and that's I wish I could call it a blip in the radar, but you look at the numbers in the second half of 19, his ERA was over six. So he's got, but the, the tools are there again. He strikes out a lot of batters, which makes you believe, okay, there's something he can work with, but you know, he's pushing 30 at this point. So he's, you know, he's got to show us something. Spencer Turnbull is viewed to have the highest ceiling of anybody within this rotation. A uh, great stuff. His issue will be strike throwing and command. Uh, he walked a whole lot of batters last year, but when he's on, he's very good. And, and I think it, he's still really young. 
that's another kind of diamond in the rough that I think the Tigers believe they have. Michael Fulmer, with the way he's pitched, I don't think is going to end up making the team out of spring training. I think uh, Julio Tehran will probably uh, make the team over him. Tehran, who was awful last year with the Angels, uh, but has come on a bit in spring training. Last year, his fastball velocity was down several miles per hour from where it was in Atlanta. It's back now. It's 92, 93, kind of where it was when he was you know, making all-star teams with the Braves. Not to say that he's going to repeat that success, but Fulmer wasn't good in limited action last year. He has not been good in spring training so far. And, and I think, uh, I think, but uh, Scooball will probably start the year on the opening day roster as well. We'll see. We'll see what that, if not, he'll get called up soon. I think Urania is another one that Chris Fetter, I know, single-handedly picked out. He wanted to, uh, see if he could do something with him. So one of those guys, I bet at some point, most likely Urania might be moved to the pen to make room for one of the younger guys. And if somebody pitches well on a one-year deal, then you have a good trade ship uh, to use at the deadline. Cause I don't think this team is going to be buyers. So it's not, it's, it's a rotation with a high ceiling because if Boyd returns to first half of 2019 form, if Turnbull uh, becomes the pitcher that we believe he can be, if if Tehran turns back the clock, and then you, maybe they're working with something. I think there's a higher ceiling on the pitching staff than there is with the hitting core, but there's still you know, still a lot of question marks. You just mentioned uh, the Chris Fetter guy. Yeah. And that's another guy that the White Sox were looking to hire, but of course he did not go to the White Sox. He went to Detroit, and he was very highly sought after. I think he was a coach at a University of Michigan. He was at U of M. He was their pitching coach there when they made a run to the College World Series. And, I mean, I don't know a ton about college baseball, but I know that you don't make the College World Series in the Big Ten. You sure don't do it at Michigan. And I've watched every game of that run. And what was fascinating about it was that it wasn't fluky. Like they did it with really great pitching. And it seems like him and Hinch are kind of in perfect lockstep in terms of uh, how they use the video data, how they go about uh, analytics and sabermetrics. I, I, I'm really excited about that hire. I know the White Sox want him. I know the Yankees wanted him when they went out, they went and got Blake instead. There were a lot of people who felt like him and Garrett Cole would have been a perfect match. So I think that was uh, even more so than the Hinch hires one I'm really excited about. Yeah, is he? Do you hear reports out of Florida that he's already doing some work with these pitchers and changing some mechanics and some things that they might not have been working for them in the past? Well, I think there's a with when you have a lot of young prospects, uh, you have the these guys have a tendency to be uh, throwers and not pitchers. You know, what I mean, guys with great raw stuff and firm fastballs, but they're a little bit erratic. I think you're seeing with Spencer Turnbull especially. I think you're seeing him use uh, the all you know both the top and bottom of the zone. I, I think that Turnbull has pitches, has a repertoire of pitches that uh, is perfect for somebody like Fetter, who's big about working all four quadrants, who's big about throwing your best pitch when you have it. You've seen him throwing more off-speed stuff, but I think what could potentially make Turnbull such a nightmare is that he has a four-seam fastball that rises in the zone and a firm uh, two-seam fastball that that sinks down in the zone and. I think Fetter's a big strikeout guy. So he's saying, hey, look, man, you don't have to pitch for contact with the two-seamer. If you got 97 in your back pocket, use it. You can you can miss bats with it. You can get swings and misses. So I think in general, over the last couple of years, when Rick Anderson was the pitching coach here, there was a, a rather archaic philosophy of, you know, establish the fastball in the inner part of the plate, gets, get a you know, weak contact, get ground balls. Hitters are smarter nowadays. And, and that's why power arms and that's why strikeout pitchers are, are so valued because they avoid the, having the ball be put in play. And I think what we're seeing is more emphasis on 
just general strike throwing, which is obviously always a good thing, but more emphasis on, on trying to miss bats. Cause I think that's something that's really been missing from the pitching staff over the last few years. When your team is in a transitional stage, most games are lost in the bullpen, and that sort of goes along yeah. with the territory. Looking at this Tigers bullpen, is that going to be the case this year for this team? Let's say the rotation comes through and, and these young guys meet their potential. Is, is that the weak spot in this team right now is its bullpen? Ironically enough, because when the, the Tigers weren't able to win the World Series from 06 to you know 2014, it was the last year they made the playoffs, the biggest reason was the bullpen. I mean, they had an amazing hitting core. They had one of the most greatest pitching staffs of all time with Verlander and Scherzer, Fister, Anibal Sanchez when he was dealing. What always lost it for him was the bullpen. Weirdly enough, with what we saw last year, there's more reason to be excited about this pen than there was in than there has been in previous years. Now, there, uh, the guy who was the closer of the future over the last several years, which is Joe Jimenez, has really flamed out. He was not good last year. Fastball velocity is relatively the same, but he doesn't have much else besides a heater. He's really struggled. But you have a lefty out of the pen named Gregory Soto, whose numbers were pedestrian a year ago, but through outside of Aroldis Chapman, I think the the hardest fastball among relievers in baseball a season ago. I mean, there's really something that they can work with there. Uh, and, and he was solid. He just had a few blow up outings. You have this kid, Brian Garcia, who was a rookie a season ago, who kind of became the closer by the end of the year. Great stuff had, I think a two or maybe even sub two ERA for the Tigers a year ago, pitched very well for them. His issue will be the strikeout rate. Like in general, there's a lot of evidence to support the fact that a guy will not be an established reliever in baseball. If you're only striking out a batter every other inning, but he got a lot of weak contact, a lot of fly ball outs, a lot of ground ball outs. Uh, Daniel Norris, who was acquired in the price trade back in 2015, seemed to find something out of the pen. Another lefty and Tyler Alexander pitched some good baseball out of the pen. So it's not going to be a dominant bullpen by any means, but I think in general, one of the problems that they've had over the last decade has been trying to put, you know, fill in, get free agents to pitch out of the pen for them. And it's, it hasn't worked out. I mean, you saw what happened with, guys like Joe Nathan and, and, and some those kind of disastrous pens that they tried to put together uh, with duct tape. I think what they've realized is you got to build from within if you want to establish your pen. And they do have four or five guys. I'm not saying they're all going to be great, but who I think can be you know, pieces of the pen when this team ultimately is competitive again. And Chris, um, I'm looking at betonline.ag for the team wins for the Detroit Tigers, and I'm seeing 67 and a half. Mm-hmm. Seems low, but... To me, that seems low because I think the Tigers are always going to be competitive and give the White Sox all they can handle. What about you? Do you think the 67 and a half is right there? And what would you go if the Tigers, if you had to guess right now, 67 over, 67 under? I would take a slight over. And it's, I think, in terms of talent, because I think last year they were pacing out to about 98 losses. I think this team is slightly better than last year's was. I think that we are going to finally see some of these those young prospects get called up and, and, and be productive and pitch some good baseball. And I think that they just have a better manager. Not to say Guardy lost them games. I think in general the, the makeup of the roster was, was, was poor, so he, there wasn't a whole lot he could do. But I think Hinch is going to do the most he can to get the most he can out of his players. So I would, I would say upwards of that, but I would be surprised if, they, if they're under – 90 losses uh, I think they'll probably around that 70 and 92 range will be kind of the sweet spot for them uh, last one for me possibly bearing the lead here but how's our guy Nomar Mazzara doing 
<laughs> I, I don't know how his spring's going so far, but he was like the bane of our existence uh, on he's many shows. Yeah, he's perpetually twenty-five years old for the rest of his <laughs> life, and you know. Uh, but how how's, how his has his spring shaped out so far? We've talked about him a lot, and it wasn't all his fault last year, but the, it just he just didn't quite work out. It was you know one of Rick Hahn's you know blunders of the last few years didn't work out, and that's okay. Like I said, that he'll he'll still give you a pretty you know, competent at bat in most situations, but just, you know, the the results weren't there. The power wasn't there. He had one home run all year. Mm-hmm. Um, it just really wasn't what we hoped he would be. Uh, but what are the expectations that you guys have for Novar, Nomar Mazar going into 2021, if any? Well, I mean, I think he'll be better than he was a year ago because I liked that trade for you guys. I remember lauding that trade when you guys made it, being like, hey, I've seen this guy in Texas, you know, and, and that was that was a band box when he played Ar- Arlington. But I'm like, this guy's, this guy's an all right hitter. You know, he'll, he'll succeed and, and, at, you know, guaranteed rate. And he did not. I mean, especially considering how good that lineup was a year ago, he was kind of a black hole there. I think his biggest issue uh, was that is the launch angle. I mean, he beat so many balls into the ground and it led to an absence of power a season ago. They're working on trying to fix that. I think that it's, it's a one year deal. I mean, it's just above a minor league. Contract. Does this sound familiar, Herb? Does this sound familiar? Like Very this familiar. is all like, this is the same thing that they said a year ago about well, it. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's strange. I was, I get why they did it because it's a, again, lower, especially for a team. Um, it probably makes more sense for us than it did for you guys, because you guys were actually building to something where it's like, if we, you know, if we can stay under 90 wins and we're in good shape, but uh, I, I, yeah, it's fixing the launch angle. Uh, I, he's not without talent. I mean, I saw him be, be solid in, uh, you know, in Texas for a few years there when he was coming up, uh, his, the weird thing last year was that he was a guy who had, you know, tremendous power coming up through the minor leagues and in Texas, and it was just gone a year ago completely. So yeah, they're trying to find something with him. If it doesn't work out, I mean, I think the outfield makeup right now, you have Grossman. You have most likely Jacoby Jones, who had a nice little year in center field. You have a guy on the bench that they're really high on in Victor Reyes, who's been so-so over the last couple of years, but he was a rule five pick that they believe is just this hidden gem and have felt that way for several years. So if he, you know, if he, if he comes up and flames out uh, that I don't, I think they might have a quick trigger on him personally, but you know, I, yeah, it's, I wasn't, I wasn't happy with the signing because the guy had what, like a 500 something OPS last year, but I get, I got the logic behind it. The idea that maybe it was just a down year and he'll, he'll kind of, you know, not regress, but go back to the mean in, yeah. in, in some ways. Yeah, he entered the the, uh, the summer camp. I believe he had COVID, and it was just, you know, late start at the season, maybe expectations, you know, and we saw what COVID did to Yohan Moncada. He was just never quite yeah. the same. And so maybe like a, a fresh start elsewhere. And also, you know, you have the expectations in the fold in Chicago for him. And maybe it was just a, a bad, you know, it was a perfect storm of bad things that were going against him. So it, he's one of those guys, you know, we all exactly what you're saying right now is what we said a year ago. Like, yeah, I can totally see if he if he hits and he pans out as a former top prospect, and he certainly looks the part. But yeah, just fixing that launch angle was a problem. But you know, in fairness to him, he gave the Sox some of the best at bats overall in that wild card series against Oakland. Like he famously, you know, struck out looking to end the season against Liam Hendricks, with the Sox acquired later on. But you know, like he he gave him fits, you know, and you know, so I, I hope it works out for him because you definitely. See the talent is there and I think maybe just wrong place wrong time for uh, Nomar uh, with the White Sox last year and speaking of the Oakland A's and we're talking about that series 
the Tigers picked up Robbie Grossman this mm-hmm. offseason, their big uh, splash on the offseason uh, pool. When we're here on Locked on Sox doing our post game after a Tigers loss, uh, who will be the main offensive culprit for that loss for the White Sox? Will it be <laughs> Robbie Grossman or are we looking more of a Nico Goodrum or Isaac Paredes, who have I heard for years? Uh, you know who I'm actually going to go uh with a bit of an outside choice, but I believe that Jamer Candelario's resurgence in the latter part of last year actually wasn't a fluke. I think when you look at the batted ball data, you know, he had, you know, the exit velo was great. He was a weird, he was a difficult prospect to gauge because he was good when the Tigers acquired him. And there were a lot of, there was a lot of evidence to support that somewhere in this guy is a really good major league hitter. He saw more pitches than almost any hitter in baseball, which makes you think, okay, the guy's patient at the plate last year. Uh, he he cut down on that because I think one of his issues was that he wasn't aggressive enough. Now, despite the fact he's still drawing walks, was hitting for power a year ago. I mean, I believe we had the average over 300, was definitely this team's best hitter a season ago. I think that's going to stick. I think he's going to be probably their, their best hitter this season. I like Jonathan Scope a lot, and I liked uh, the, the fact that they re-signed him, but he rarely ever walks. He hits hits, hits, for, hits a lot of home runs. But, yeah, I think – I think Jamer's probably going to be by the end of the year. I, I like the idea of him kind of sticking sticking around here and being uh, uh, one one of the key pieces of this baseball team. Chris is a nice guy, but he's got to have some hate in his heart, right? We'll find out which team he hates the most coming up, and we'll preview tomorrow's episode here on Locked On White Sox. Locked On White Sox is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football's over, yes, but NBA, NHL, MLB futures and college hoops they're all in full swing herb what are you looking at tournament time's always big you're gonna there's a lot of money to be made during the tournament a lot of money to be lost too Uh, anything you're looking at here as the tournament gets underway this week yeah with my Illini playing this uh past sunday they played for the big 10 championship and i saw a team that i like you know i won't bet on the Illini, which you can here in illinois if you really want to, on betonline.ag, they're an offshore site. So you want to bet a versus the Illini and have them go all the way to the Final Four or cutting down the nets, do it. But I saw the other team I want to vote for or I want to put my money behind, and that's the Ohio State Buckeyes. So I'm going to betonline.ag and putting all my money on the good value you can get right now on the Ohio State Buckeyes, even in their first-round matchup versus Oral Roberts, or to go all the way to the Final Four or to cut down the nets. It's all in the same place. It's in Indianapolis this year, so there's no travel. So I think Ohio State and Big Ten teams especially have a distinct advantage being in the facilities and being in the area for the last week plus. Interesting. So you can bet on anything you want practically on betonline.ag, including award shows, TV shows, and reality TV. And these odds are updated in real time. There's props on almost anything you can imagine. They've got you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets. And best of all, it's free to sign up. So head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And don't forget our promo code locked on at betonline.ag. Fantasy Baseball Addicts, you now have a new resource to help give you an advantage in your leagues. Locked On Fantasy Baseball is a daily fantasy baseball podcast hosted by veteran fantasy analyst Scott Cullen, who uses data and nearly two decades of fantasy baseball experience to offer the strategies and waiver wire pickups that lead to league wins, season-long fantasy, dynasty leagues, DFS. Locked On Fantasy Baseball covers it all. Subscribe to Locked On Fantasy Baseball wherever you get your podcast. My rankings for 
the teams in the division from the team I hate the most to the least, the Tigers on the least part. They're the, the bottom part because of the great reception we got from them. And really, I've had great uh, interactions with Tigers fans, too. So it's like Minnesota, of course, 100 percent. Number one, the <laughs> Twins. I mean, the uh, Royals, number two, because somehow, some way, even this year, I think the Royals are down. They're still going to find a way to beat the White Sox. And, you know, Heath Fillmire sucks still. And so <laughs> does Brad Keller. I hate him. And then it's the Indians and then it's the Tigers. What about yourself? The other four teams in the Central, where would you rank them from least the most hated or most to least? You know, I, I don't dislike really any of them, but the one, it always, it still bothers me. And this is because I'm petty. It bothers <laughs> me that the Royals with their core won a World Series and the Tigers <laughs> didn't. Because those teams were, were should. pests. Because they, they, you look at the teams the Tigers built, you're looking at Cy Young winners, MVPs. They had five All-Stars in 2013 and a team that had Alcides Escobar leading off for him and won a World <laughs> Series, you know, like with with starting pitchers that went three and a third. It, that So that one always like that one always gets under my skin. And they, they were a great team. It's just like they are always the outlier to me of like, how in the world did that happen? Number two, uh, man, it's tough. Number two, I would I would probably have to put you guys number two solely because of what you guys were doing to us last year with Tim Anderson <laughs> ruining both Mize and um, Scooball's debuts. Oh. I mean, it was so it was amazing. I'm standing up out of my couch, being like, "All right, guys, here Scooball's <laughs> debuting for the Tigers. First pitch gone. Uh, I think the next couple nights later, Boyd pitched second at bat or first at bat, second pitch gone. Uh, so it probably leaned towards that. And I love watching them. But I hate playing against them because that lineup is so brutal. And not only are they brutal now, I know how brutal they're going to be in a few years when Robert comes into his own and Moncada is healthy again. Uh, number three, I would probably put I would probably put the Twins. Be, actually, you know what? No, I'm going to flip those two because I just reminded myself of the 2009 uh, playing game where they broke our hearts. So I'm, I'm going Twins two, you guys three, and then I'm going to go Cleveland four. I have a lot of respect for what that organization did over the last several years. And in our prime, uh, we won divisions because we went 13 and four against Cleveland year in and year out. So like, I can't, I can't exactly knock them necessarily. So that would probably be my order. Is Victor Martinez getting hit somewhere off of Chris sale? Just at at some point. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't, no one's heard from Victor since he retired, but I'm sure if he came out, I'm sure he could probably slap a few seeing eye singles (laughs) off of him if he wanted to. God, that's the guy that I hated the most and didn't really hate the guy. I, I hated because he would kill our best player. Yeah, were they were they were they cheating, Chris? Was there cameras out in center field there? That's what Chris Sale always no, I don't, alleged. I don't know. I never I remember I was a freshman <laughs> in college when that happened. And I remember asking around, being like, what's he talking about? And I you know what? it's funny because when the Astros stuff uh broke i remember somebody posted a meme being like don't forget the original cheaters and it was a a, a meme uh, a still image of chris sale doing the, the goggles motion about that i don't know where that came from but yeah that was a that was a one of one of my favorite tigers moments was that and sale during that season when he was rolling all right that's chris castellani from locked on tigers and that was a lot of fun herb i feel like i know more about the tigers than i did going in and that's a good thing yeah it was really great to talk about the tigers but tomorrow 
we're going to have him ask the questions to us about our favorite team, the Chicago White Sox. So make sure you tune in for that episode as it will be a lot of fun as seeing an outsider's view of the White Sox, especially a guy that knows the division and doesn't hate us as the other teams do. So it'll be a very fun time to listen to what Chris has to say and ask us the questions that a Tigers perspective would have. So tune in for that. That is Chris Tannehill at Chris Tannehill on Twitter. My name is Herb Lawrence, Ecknerwall23 on Twitter. Our show is at Locked On Socks, both on Twitter, Instagram. And if you want to go to the YouTube channel, it's there, Locked On Socks. Maybe you can win a prize pack if you are subscribed to our channel there. And keep on sending those voicemails, 312-566-8727. That is Baines, AJ, Burley, Orda, Bo. Fisk and our guy Tim Anderson. So keep on sending them or lockdownsocks at gmail.com, the traditional way to be in our mailbag shows. So for Chris Tannehill, my name is Herb Lawrence. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Locked On Socks. <laughs>